The fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We're going to mostly ignore the Supreme Court hearing from earlier today. Full of doom. Yes. But <laughs> later in the show, we'll explore the Lift Every Voice speaker series, which starts next week. And we'll see a slew of notable folks in social justice, history, and more come to Springfield to expand all of our horizons. We'll be joined by organizer and host Bishop Talbert Swan II, producer Ayanna Crawford, and the first speaker in this series, Domingo Guyton. And possibly First Lady. First Lady Swan of, as uh, well. yes, that's well. Also, we'll have our weekly chat with Representative Jim McGovern, while, where he'll tackle a listener question about forever chemicals, the recent failed impeachment attempt by the Republican majority, and a celebrity acknowledgement on the platform formerly known as Twitter. But right now, we're exploring an event happening this Sunday in Northampton. It's at a church, but don't be alarmed. It's still cool and for everybody. (laughs) On February 11th, College Church in Northampton will present Black History from Christian Abolitionism to White Fragility featuring music and speakers and a focus on the intersection of faith with the legacy of slavery. And joining us to talk about the presentation are Marsha Morris and Bob Myers, who are co-chairs for the event, as well as Northampton City Councilor at Large Garrick Perry and one of the featured speakers at the event, State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa in the car coming back from Beacon Hill right now. (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining us. Garrick, city councilor at large, force as we like to call you, uh, our representative in Northampton. Uh, You were the first to bring our attention to this. And this is sort of an outgrowth of a committee to study uh, racialized harms to black residents and workers in Northampton, or it's at least part of that conversation. Yeah. So first, Monty and Khalees, thanks for having me again. (laughs) It's always a pleasure to to see your faces. Welcome back. And yeah, so this is sort of an an outgrowth of some of the work that we've been doing. I'm on the select committee with Marsha Morris, uh, as well as a number of other residents um, throughout our our, um, community. And one of the things we've been looking at are places in which um, people of color, black people gather and, uh, you know, churches have always been that place. And so I I wanted to, during this Black History Month, uh, kind of bring this to people's attention and highlight some of the places where we can continue to build community and also have uh, conversations uh, kind of connected to reparations movement as well. And we talked a lot about that on the show yesterday, and I think it'll be a continuing conversation. And Amherst has become uh, and Northampton as well, a template that I know even Congressman McGovern, who joins us later, has used to try to bring up the flagpole to the federal government to say these are the type of conversations we're going to be having. Uh, Marsha, what's your uh, role in this and what will you be bringing to the event this Sunday at College Church? Well, thank you. Um, uh, I am a commissioner on the reparations group. And I'm also a co-chair of the Slavery and Christianity team for College Church. And we've been working on this um, for about a year. We've been working on the issue of history of uh, slavery in the North, and specifically in Northampton. A lot of people don't talk about the slavery in the North. They think of it as just a Southern issue. And the North was very much involved in the slave trade route. And so our church wanted to explore that. And so I um, start, worked with uh, several people um, from my church, and we got a team up and rolling, and that's how we got 
going on this. This is actually going to be our final project for this. We've looked at Edward, uh, Pastor Edwards, which is a well-known pastor from the from Western Mass, and the fact that he was a slaver, and not very many people knew that. Mm. And uh, we looked at um, different kinds of communications, and we worked on doing what we call the Native American talking stick technology, which I learned um, some years ago. And we did a communication um, around some issues around race. And um, we also talked about Juneteenth and what the real meaning of Juneteenth is and the fact that African Americans don't really celebrate July 4th as our emancipation, so to speak, and that Juneteenth has become that date. So um, this will be the final um, thing that we do for our church, and I'm here with my co-chair who has been on this walk with me um, and Bob has been very kind to work with me. We are from a mostly white church. And it's hard to tell for the radio audience, but Bob and I are the only white people in the room right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and white fragility is one of the things that will be discussed. We will talk with uh, uh, Lindsay Sabadosa, our representative, in just a minute, too. But talk, to, uh, Bob, tell us your role in this and, and, and being a white person involved in this Hmm. conversation and what that's meant through your church. Yeah, well, I mostly have done what Marsha tells me to do. Uh, <laughs> but I, That's I, a good first move. You know, there's just been a very nice flow to this because um, back in 2020, after, after Breonna Taylor and uh, George Floyd were killed, uh, the pastor and the elder board of our church really got a, a genuine conviction that, you know, we really needed to look at the history of racism within the church. And uh, this, our little committee, our Slavery and Christianity Committee, was put together. And I think there's been a very nice flow to this. Last year, we put on the program uh, regarding slavery in the North, slavery in Northampton, and, and what Jonathan Edwards' role was in that. Um, and it's been kind of, a, kind of an interesting little piece that, uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards has been uh, credited with being the author of The, the Great Awakening the right. revival, the famous fire and brimstone preacher, exactly. his connections exactly. to Northampton. Yeah, uh, but he was a slave owner. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but the Great Awakening is uh, that's sort of the starting gate for most of the Christian abolitionism that took place in Florence and Northampton mm -hmm. afterwards as well. So there's a there's a real nice continuity to all this, and I think this is a really nice place to to finish our series. That's Bob Myers and Marsha Morris, who are co-chairs for the event happening this Sunday, February 11th at 1 o'clock at College Church, Pomeroy Tennis uh, Terrace in Northampton. From Black History from Christian Abolitionism to White Fragility. One of the featured speakers of the event is Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, who's coming back to us driving in the car from Beacon Hill. <laughs> Tell us what you'll be speaking about at this event on Sunday, Representative Sabadosa. Well, thank you, Monty, and, and thank you. I'm sorry, I can't be in the studio with everybody today, but... Um, Duty calls. <laughs> Duty calls. Um, so, uh, you, well, I'm, I'm still working on the speech uh, for Sunday, so I can't give you all of the highlights just yet because I don't know them all. That's all right. You but have three days. I, You'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. Plenty of time. <laughs> I'm, I'm tons of time. I mean, yes. An hour before, if it's done by then, I'll be doing well. <laughs> but um, I, I'm some of the themes that I'm thinking of, and it's interesting that uh, we, we are not going to be talking about that case that is before the Supreme Court, but some of the things that are, have been on my mind are really um, the way laws have evolved over time and 
the case before the court today is really looking at the 14th Amendment and Reconstruction era laws and the way that the United States had to finally uh, grapple with race in our Constitution. And I think there are good parallels to what's happened in Massachusetts. We've um, we were a little bit ahead of the curve there, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot of work to do. And Northampton, through the Reparations Commission, is trying to, I think, play uh, play a role and be a leader in the state. Um, we might be a little bit behind Amherst on that one, but um, we are trying. Uh, and I think that the legislature, through the recognition of Juneteenth um, in, in the past few years, making it an official holiday is is trying to to grapple with what we have left to do and there there is a lot i mean whether we're looking at maternal health or housing transportation all of these issues have a component to them where they have been racialized over the years and so i'm going to try to take all of those ideas and put them in a 10 minute speech <laughs> <laughs> i have the utmost faith in you representative lindsay sabadosa uh marcia i'm a little sad that you say this is the last the final project i can understand like things need need to end and like getting to to a, a culmination of all of your work is a wonderful thing to be proud of and really good. But are there any plans to evolve this group into something that would keep this series continuing? Well, in terms of the church, yes, the work will continue within the church. This was just one idea that came out of the discussion like Bob talked about from um, our elders uh, deciding to do the position paper. Um, I also am a commissioner on the um, reparations team for Northampton, and that work, you know, we're gearing up to do, um, to look at the harms done in Northampton, and I will be playing a key role in, in helping that team do that and get our process together. So my time will shift to that, but the team with the next piece for our church will be another team um, will be looking at um, race and trying to do reconciliation within the church. So the work won't stop within the church, but my time will shift. It's interesting. We talked to folks from the documentary, The Cost of Inheritance, which there'll be a screening that NEPM is promoting uh, on Tuesday in Springfield. And that talks about two important things that you've been talking about in regards to this event that's happening at College Church on Sunday. One is the church's responsibility in slavery. One of the things the documentary brought to my attention was just how large the Jesuit, not your necessarily flavor of Christianity, but uh, how involved that church was in, in slavery, and also talks a lot about contemporary folks dealing with their white fragility. The name of this event is Black History, from Christian abolitionism to white fragility. Uh, I don't know whether we should talk, I should be talking about white fragility or the the black folks that are part of this conversation should begin. But talk about, I guess, maybe Garrick or, or Marsha. I mean, we're, we're properly coming at the, the appropriate ends of this conversation yeah. because, like, we don't necessarily have experience feeling it, but ex- experiencing it as it comes, like, and 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 hits us with with um, interactions. And you have experience, like, feeling it yeah. and trying not to make those interactions, hopefully not to make those interactions real uncomfortable for everybody involved. Exactly. So maybe that's where we should start. How has how has white fragility manifested itself in a way, in your experience going through life in a black body in in Northampton in a, a predominantly white church setting? Well, I mean, one of the reasons why we wanted to do uh, white fragility, and um, and I think it's very important is we really can't have a conversation about race 
and or even class for that matter, unless white people are willing to let go and allow that conversation and the realities of how people of color feel and prisoned by um, the fragility that you all oftentimes use to shut the conversation down. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons why I think we'll address it and we're going to be doing a skit around this, you know, both to keep it light, but to also talk through some of how people of color, in particular African-American people feel, and fear about really approaching certain issues with white people. I can give you an example. Um, folks often feel like, and I know we've, I've, I'm in a women's um, group, uh, women of colors group, and we often talk, leadership uh, group actually, and we often talk about when we try to talk through certain issues and try to find um, areas that we can find commonality with white women, that tears start to flow. And that often puts us off because we feel like, well, we don't want to upset. We don't want to rock the boat. Um, and my experience with white men um, is that uh, they don't want women, and especially women of color, uh, African-American women, uh, in leadership roles, telling them or pushing them to do something they don't feel comfortable with. Mm. Well, also on top of that, like those tears are often weaponized against various sects of people. So the minute we see, like, especially white women crying, is like, oh no, we are going to get in trouble. Um, there is this fear, this this built-in thing about like incurring some sort of larger wrath through those with through that bit of saline. Mm. Um, this is not where I wanted to go with this question. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I am. But that's what, no, yeah. that, right? Isn't that what it's really about? Like hmm. being able to talk through these really thorny issues with white people around how white women's tears meant black men often ended up hung or accused of rape or something like that. And so those things were weaponized in the South and the North as well. And these things are still around and we need to talk through that. So I'm sorry I didn't take you oh, in no, the direction. No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> I feel like I sidetracked. Um, I'm curious how we see that particular fragility happen in the faith communities where like there, I mean, the beginning of your talk is Christian abolitionism to white fragility. There is that tie between the church and abolition. And yet there is still that, that fraughtness when we bring these subjects up. So what is, is that part of the talk on, on Sunday too, part of the sketch? Bob. Yeah, I think very much so. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, the, the skit that's going to take place addresses that head on. And uh, yeah. yeah. That's well, one thing I would add is that when you said the thing about the Jesuits, mm. we found through the work that we did around uh, Pastor Edwards that uh, pastors in the Northampton and greater western area, slavery and having a slave um, uh, was almost like a 
owning an expensive car, we might think of it in today's status world. Symbol. It's mm. a status symbol. It's It was how they then could actually get work done at their homes. Um, they could own a farm because oftentimes uh, pastors didn't make a lot of money. So this allowed them to... You know, it wasn't a plantation, but it was the, uh, their ability to do farming. And remember that meat was what we sent to the West Indies and to England, and that's how we were a part of that triangle as well. That you know, so Christianity has very much been a part and parcel of slavery, the institution of Christianity. That's Marsha Morris. We have also been speaking with Bob Myers, co-chairs of the event Black History from Christian Abolitionism to White Fragility. Representative Lindsay Sabadosa is one of the featured speakers there. We've been talking about white fragility and tears and things like that. How hard are these conversations to have on Beacon Hill and what kind of conversations along these lines are happening that you're involved with there? Well, these conversations are so hard to have. I mean, I, I think I think Marsha really said it. And when people start to feel uncomfortable, they back away. But yet, if we don't have them, then uh, we're just we're ignoring we're ignoring the underlying issues. So I, I think that you would uh, be hard pressed to find a group of, of uh, legislators and staff willing to sit around to talk about how uncomfortable crying can be. But I, I hope that that is going to start to change. Um, what about you, Garrick Perry? You're a counselor at large in Northampton. Are these conversations happening uh, in the city government level and in conjunction with your state representative, Lindsay Sabadosa, on Beacon Hill? So, uh, yes, uh, these conversations are happening. In fact, uh, this select committee that Marsha and I are on came out of some of these discussions and came from a resolution that myself, uh, Counselor Jamila Gore and Counselor Marissa Elkins put together that was, you know, kind of laid the groundwork for us to begin doing the work to study some of these racialized harms. Um, and, and even in our current meetings, our last meeting, uh, which is to say that our select committee has meetings the first Tuesday of every month. We just had the last one. Uh, but in our most recent one, we discussed some of our uh, educational events and a listening session and what that would look like. And there was a, a robust discussion about what you know, whether or not we want to hear about the harms from black residents or, you know, what and how those harms would reopen wounds or, or so those sorry, so those discussions would reopen those wounds. Um, and, and that would be emotional versus, you know, the concept of, of how would white people feel if we had a listening session where they talked about, um, you know, the times that they were racists. Uh, or, or did something that might have been perceived as racist and how difficult that conversation would be. So, um, you know, even in, our, in, in these small groups and these sessions, just trying to talk about educational things, we're having these uh, very emotional conversations. And uh, one thing I will say about this select committee is that I'm very proud that it is madom uh, predominantly black. Uh, mm -hmm. And even in that space where I feel very comfortable being around people who are the same skin and, and, and have had some of the similar experiences to me, that we all are coming at it from different uh, perspectives. And so, um, you know, the fact that Northampton is willing to have an open space, to have this be publicly, um, you know, broadcast is, I think, very telling about how we want to start taking these subjects head on. 
Northampton City Councilor at Large, Garrick Perry, who brought this event to our attention, joins us. The event is From Christian Abolitionism to White Fragility. It's this Sunday, February 11th at 1 o'clock. Uh, the flyer promises you'll be home in time for the superb owl, if that matters to you. Uh, it will feature a keynote address by Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. We didn't even get to talk about been... how awesome it is that Evelyn Harris is going to be singing. Well, that was what I was about to set up right now. <laughs> Evelyn Harris of Sweet Honey in the Rock of the Young at Heart Chorus, our dear friend, uh, is going to be performing there. There will also be from the Forbes Library historian Elise Bernier-Feely uh, talking more about the history of this. We've been joined as well by the co-chairs of the event, Marsha Morris and Bob Myers. Uh, thank you all so much for telling us about this event this Sunday. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you. Later in the show, more ways to celebrate black history with the Lift Every Voice speaker series. But up next, Congressman McGovern answering some of your questions on how he got a social media assist from a Jedi. And this is Evelyn Harris, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Time for our weekly check-in with U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, the ranking member of the Rules Committee, and somebody who is getting an assist from the greatest Jedi in the galaxy. We are definitely going to get to that conversation in a little bit, but we'll start with something a little more serious, and we'll get to some of your listener questions, too. House Republicans this week suffering what I think amounts to an embarrassing setback when they failed to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, claiming that he's not living up to his job in regards to what's happening at the border. Meanwhile, a bipartisan border bill fails, largely in the Senate, with an assist from Senators Markey and Warren of Massachusetts in that failure. First, let's get to the border. If this bill were to be voted on in the House, what was your take? Would you have voted along with Markey and Warren? Would it have done more harm than good, as they seemed to indicate? Or was this a good compromise? Yeah, well, of course, there's a lot in the bill that's okay, and there's a lot in the bill that's not not okay. I mean, quite frankly, it gave me a lot of angst. You know, it's 325 pages long. I think I get to page 100 before it became clear that it was going nowhere. Not only did the Speaker of the House say he would never bring any immigration bill up to vote before the election, but then Mitch McConnell did a flip-flop saying, we think the Senate should consider it. Then he went to, I think the Senate should kill it. Look, here's the deal. This is basically everything the Republicans wanted. This would have given the president of the United States the authority to shut down the border. That's what Republicans have been asking for. And they get everything they want. And it's like being a spoiled child. You get everything you want and then it's not enough. My response to all of this is from now on, if people want to complain about the border and about the number of people illegally crossing or you want to talk about fentanyl or whatever, the Republicans now own it. They basically said, we want to do nothing. We want the issue for an election, but we do not want to be part of solving the problem. There you have it. I mean, this is dead. I mean, I thought at least the Senate would have voted to consider it, but it won't even be debated in the Senate. And if it were debated and passed in the Senate, the Speaker of the House has said it's dead on arrival. So that's that. It, this is a clown show. Oh, we're going to get to the clown show thing again, too. 
that has to do with uh, Luke Skywalker as well. But let's get to a listener question. Ben Goldberg from Leverett says, Hi, Jim. Like, very informal with you, which I think is, you know, couldn't be good. You've been <laughs> hi, pro- hi back. You've been proactive about <laughs> local food, farms, health, nutrition, food justice, etc., and you are to be applauded for that. Where are you with the growing health and environmental concerns posed by forever chemicals and microplastics permeating agricultural crops and our food supply? Can your office provide any safety guidelines? What initiatives are the feds pursuing to assign responsibility for this? Seems unfair that consumers should bear the health costs for exposure to these hazards? Well, one is, Ben should probably get a hold, we, we, we should probably connect. Look, I, I, I want to make sure the food that we all have is safe. And I'm worried about chemicals that we know of and chemicals that we don't know of that contaminate our food. It's one of the reasons why I've been very involved in this battle to control PFAS, which is in everything. But I would urge him to maybe get a hold of me or call my Washington office um, and we can figure out how we can be helpful. Well, I can get your office in touch with Ben. And if you have a question like Ben did for the congressman, you can email it to us at thefab413 at nepm.org. There is a question for you that was not given to me, but in an open letter to the Greenfield Recorder. Did you happen to see this open letter? Has this come across your transom, Congressman? I haven't seen it yet, um, but tell me about it. Okay. It's from a a reader of the Recorder named uh, Kurt Heidegger. says, Congressman Jim McGovern voted on January 31st for H.R. 6679, No Immigration Benefits for Hamas Terrorist Act, which passed. It makes it illegal for representatives of the Palestinian Liberation Organization to enter the U.S. The Biden administration is pushing the two-state solution to end the enormity in Palestine-Israel and intends to have the PLO represent the Palestinians. Since the passage of the law makes it impossible for the PLO to visit Washington to explain and gain support for its positions, I wonder why our congressman would vote against it. He says he called the Northampton office and they couldn't explain. He says he called the D.C. office and nobody knew. So I thought... Maybe I could act as a, a yeah, mediator. Well, yeah. well, existing law is that the Hamas is on our terrorist list, and quite frankly, rightfully so. And that, that's existing law. So it's basically reinstating existing law. There can be exceptions. The president or the administration can, can make exceptions, and they have done that over the years. This doesn't preclude the Palestinian Authority, but I mean, the idea that somehow Hamas should be able to, uh, people from Hamas should be able to come into the United States anytime they want to, given their record, by the way, which has not only been horrific to Israel, but has been horrific to the Palestinians. I have friends in Gaza who have told me that Hamas has been a disaster. Well, let let so me look, stop I you right there for state. a second, because I think Kurt's question has less to do with Hamas and more to do with the PLO. It seems that the PLO, well, the the PLO well, first of all, the PLO is not representing the Palestinians. It's the Palestinian Authority that is, and they're not. But the PLO, there have been, over the years, there have been exceptions that have been that have been made over and over and over again for representatives of the PLO to be able to come to the United States. So if, if, there, if anybody wants to come to the United States to talk about how we end the violence, I'm fine with the administration granting a waiver. But this is existing law, and it is a reinstatement of existing law. Republicans thought it was important to bring it up. I'm not going to vote on a bill that would basically say that we should repeal taking Hamas in particular off the terrorist list. What you're saying to Kurt, who wrote this letter, is that if members of the PLO who are could become one of the governing bodies yeah. in a two-state solution were here as emissaries to negotiate that, there would be caveats in this bill that would allow for that yeah, to happen. Absolutely. And, and over the years, we have made exceptions and we have allowed people specifically from the PLO to come here for conversations and for dialogue. Now to the question that I've been dying to talk to you about all week, which is what went on most mostly on 
Twitter and mostly having to do with Marjorie Taylor Greene, representative, Republican, Georgia. Marjorie Taylor Greene, amongst other things this week, uh, was trying to introduce a bid to censure Representative Ilhan Omar from Minnesota in response to what was essentially a mistranslated remarks that would have advocated for her fellow Somali Americans. You criticized her publicly about not being able to use Google Translate, at which point (laughs) she fired back to you on Twitter. Wow, this is coming from the same guy who is well known to lay his suit jacket on the actual bathroom floor while spending a lot of time in the stall of the first floor bathroom of the Capitol. Now, that is a weird accusation, so let's start there. Do you lay your suit jacket down on the bathroom floor while spending a lot of time in the stall of the first floor bathroom of the Capitol? Not that I know of. I mean, I don't even know what she's talking about. I mean, I, I, it was such a like, a like a weird thing. And when she posted, my staff said, called me and said, don't respond. And of course, I responded. Oh, yeah. And you responded in a way that uh, was commended by none other than Luke Skywalker actor Mark Hamill. Your response to Marjorie Taylor Greene's accusation was, no idea what you're talking about. What are you doing in the men's bathroom? Aren't you late for a Klan meeting? <laughs> Liberal Twitter erupted uh, in applause, including Mark Hamill at the top of the list. Love this response. Three fire emojis and a thumbs up. Well, I'm glad to have the force with me uh, on this one. Uh, But, you know, I mean, she's a weirdo. And, you know, she's a bully. And she says these crazy off-the-wall stuff, which I don't even know where it's coming from. But, you know what? Sometimes you got to punch back. She's crazy. And she's also a bigot and a racist. And so that's why I responded. She was the one who brought the... It was her resolution to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. She's introduced 20 bills in her career, and half of them, 10 of them, are either to censure or impeach people. And she is calling the shots for the Republican Party. Because of the failure of the Mayorkas impeachment attempt, this doesn't bode well for what is a very likely attempt to try to impeach President Biden at some point. I mean, but that doesn't mean they won't do it. I mean, what's the high crime or misdemeanor that Mayorkas committed. You may you may disagree with what a cabinet uh, secretary is doing or what his or her views may be, but that's not grounds for impeachment. This is ridiculous. If the new standard is you can impeach any cabinet secretary because you disagree with their policies, God, if I knew that, I would have impeached all the Trump cabinet secretaries because they were a joke. So this is ridiculous. But we're wasting our time on this garbage. The last bill that the Rules Committee sent to the House floor that was signed into law was over nine months ago. So for nine, over nine months, everything we have done in the House of Representatives has been for show. We have accomplished nothing. It is pathetic. And I want to tell you, this coming election is incredibly important because if the Republicans win, you're going to get more of this stuff. If they can be defeated, then they will have to reinvent themselves and Republicans will have to go back to being old-fashioned conservatives rather than, you know, you know, the chock full of nuts caucus that they've become. <laughs> U.S. <laughs> Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts joins us every Thursday for McGovern with McGovern. You can send a question like Ben from Leverett did or maybe write an open letter to the recorder that I'll come across and I can ask that question on your behalf. You can email us, thefab413 at nepm.org. Uh, may the force be with you, Congressman. You too. All the best. Thanks. Coming up, we'll hear about the Lift Every Voice speaker series kicking off in Springfield this coming Tuesday. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Lift every voice and sing. 
Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. The Spring of Hope Church in Springfield presents the Lift Every Voice Speaker Series. This year's theme, a challenge to stand on the right side of history. The series was established in 2011 in honor of African American History Month. The lecture series gives the greater Springfield community direct contact with the important ideas of our times and with people who have contributed much to modern thought. The series endeavors to elevate black voices to break down racial inequality. And joining us is one of the hosts of the series, along with his first lady, Cynthia, who's in our green room. Shout out. <laughs> Bishop Talbert Swan II, pastor of the Spring of Hope Church of God in Christ. He's also the president of the Greater Springfield NAACP and is a radio host who, when I pull myself away from NEPM every Monday and Friday morning, I listen to on WTCC. I know. I get to listen to it on my way down to the station. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we listen to anything other than NEPM, but every once in a while every when the bishop is on, out. we put it's, the bishop on. It's good to have variety. Yeah. <laughs> we also <laughs> welcome back to the show Ms. Ayanna C. Crawford, president of AC Consulting and media, founder of the Take the Mic, and of founder of Take the Mic, rather, and organizer of the Lift Every Voice series. And we're happy to have the series' first speaker, Domingo Guyton, professor at Boston campus and Worcester State University. Professor Guyton is well-rounded in African-American history and how it relates to the current hip-hop generation. <laughs> Earlier years of Guyton's, Guyton's life were documented in two books. He is the producer of over 200 songs. His music has appeared in several TV shows and movies. For six years, he was the drummer for Grammy Award-winning group Tavares. And the the producer and director of three award-winning films. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Glad, Glad to have you us. on our airwaves, Bishop <laughs> Swan. So you're one of the founders of this spe- series that started back uh, now 12, 13 years ago at this point. What made you want to, to start this series? So, you know, back in the 90s, we used to do a number of events centered around Black History Month. And around this time, I was looking at trying to um, see what was happening and there was not much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got this idea while I'm riding down Alden Street, you know what, I need to do something for Black History Month, and this came to mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, we 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 um, started it in 2011. Our first speaker was uh, Dr. John Bracey from the University of Massachusetts um, in 2011, and we've been going strong ever since, and this is our 14th annual. Excellent. What are some highlights from over the years that you remember most? Oh, man, a, a whole <laughs> lot of them. You know, um, Sister Soldier was a big wow. event. Um, I mean, standing room only uh-huh. uh, in the place. Of course, uh, Dr. Juwanza Kanjufu has always uh, came and brought a relevant message. Tim Wise mm. um, always packs the place out. And so it's run the gamut from award-winning actors like Clifton Davis um, to hip-hop pioneers like Moni Love. Um, so we've had the gamut of speakers that have come uh, and talked about a, a number of relevant topics throughout the year and challenged our community. Right. And we have are lucky to have the first speaker uh, with us who also comes from a hip-hop background and uh, from the Boston area originally, right? Domingo Guyton, who's the first speaker this coming February 13th, next week, Tuesday? Yes, sir. <laughs> Tell us about growing up in Boston. Where in Boston, oh. first of all? Yeah, Khalees was born. I was born in Boston, but grew up in the suburbs. I'm from Roxbury. Yeah. All right. I'm from Mattapan. Where? <laughs> That's where my nana was. <laughs> my nana was in Rosendale, so not too far. <laughs> Getting Sundays at Brigham's when we go for visits. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. So you, your story, uh, you know, in 
in part of hip hop culture and now in church culture is is a tra- is a transformational story. Tell us a little bit about your background and what's brought you to this Lift Every Voice series. Well, my background growing up in Boston again in the 1980s, so that explains a lot right there. <laughs> I went to high school. I graduated in 1993. So we were right there in the midst of a lot of chaos. We just got out of, you know, war on drugs. We just, our communities just got infiltrated with a bunch of guns and crack cocaine because cocaine was never inside the inner city. That was, you know, expensive, you know, quote unquote, white drugs to get. But, you know, because of the war on drugs and things that were happening in our country, our neighborhoods soon got flooded with these illegal guns and this crack cocaine. And so coming out of that was just crazy. I ran to Worcester, which is an hour west, just to get out of the chaos and sort of, you know, try to do something with my life. And I went to Worcester State. And so Worcester State has been a part of my life since 1993, since I got out of the chaos of Boston. What's it like teaching there now, having gone there to escape? <laughs> it's a uh, it's beautiful. It's been, uh, I'm, I'm currently in Atlanta, Georgia. So I've been here for 10 years. When I, when I left Worcester, it was 2014 and I came to Atlanta to work on a feature film, mm-hmm. but I've kept a great relationship with Worcester and they have me actually teaching uh, a class, which is called the sociology of hip hop. And I'm doing it virtually. And so I'm able to do it from my home here in Atlanta and still being connected to Worcester. And I'm actually teaching a, a, a class right down the street from where our series is happening in Springfield. It's at Commerce High School. Oh, nice. So I'm teaching a class there called Sociology of Hip Hop. So this has been a great, great, just all these dots that are connecting have the different hip hop communities in that like the one from Boston look there's a very small but still there one in in Worcester and the one that you've come into in Atlanta affected the way that you structure and teach your class I think there's a lot happening and it's happening at lightning speed I'm looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have on Tuesday and looking forward I always love the question and answer period because the hip-hop culture is moving and it's changing. So much is happening and it's very fascinating and a lot of it is very heartbreaking. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. I'm looking forward to the questions and what I'm going to walk away learning also. Right. We're speaking with Domingo Guyton, who on February 13th, next Tuesday, will be the first speaker in the 14th annual Lift Every Voice lecture series, which is happening at the Spring of Hope Church of God in Christ in Springfield starting at 6.30. Domingo, the topic of your discussion, and you've alluded to this a little bit, hip-hop, a culture of vision and voice. Tell us where you are a musician. You've produced and created, and you have you know a whole playlist on Spotify. Tell us how your hip-hop and what, you, what your hip-hop strives to say, how you're using your voice every day through the means of hip-hop. I think it's important to, to, to recognize where it started. And so I will be talking about where it started and then how it was turned into a cash cow, which is why many negative influence got involved. But then also the redeeming power of what following Yeshua HaMashiach could do and how those who follow Yeshua HaMashiach, how following the hip hop, generation they have very a lot a lot of similarities and so i'm going to be talking about 
those kind of topics. And um, I'm, again, I'm looking forward to it. First time that I'll be doing it. I've been to the series. This will be my third time there. I was there in 2012. I think I was there somewhere around 2016 or 17. And then Bishop has asked me to come back the third time, and it is an honor. <laughs> And the bishop he refers to is in the studio with us, Bishop Talbert Swan II. We're also joined by Ayanna Crawford, and that is Domingo Guyton, who is the first speaker of the Lift Every Voice series. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll hear some about the other speakers that will be part of this series throughout the month of February. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. You're listening to the music of Domingo Guyton, who is the first speaker at the Lift Every Voice lecture series happening starting next Tuesday at the Spring of Hope Church of God in Christ in Springfield. And we are joined by one of the hosts, Bishop Talbert Swan from that church, his first lady in the green room right now. We're also joined by the host for the 13th Lift Every Voice series, Ayanna Crawford. And Domingo Guyton is on the phone. He's going to be coming and speaking First, who else is going to be part of this series, Bishop Swan? Oh, we've got um, some great speakers. Um, Dr. Tima Bryant, who is the immediate past president of the American Psychological Association, mm. psychologist and minister um, and theologian in her own right. Uh, she's going to be dynamic. Candace Marie Benbow, who is uh, a best-selling author. Um, she's got a, a landmark book called Red Lipstick Theology. Um, you need to check that out. She's going to be one of our speakers. And Mike McBride, friend of mine, who's also a anti-gun violence um, advocate, um, the um, director of Live Free USA, he's going to be coming in. He's going to be meeting with groups in our community that are working against gun violence. And his lecture that evening is going to be talking about shifting the culture of violence. And then we have another speaker uh, who's on a separate docket called Lifting Silenced Voices, and that is Linda Sarsour, who is going to be talking about the situation in Israel um, uh, with the Palestinians, and that's going to be moderated by Dr. Almakar Shabazz. So it's, it's going to be a full month of great, great speakers. And you did say the First Lady's in the green room. Shout out to the First Lady. It's our 33rd anniversary. And, um, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. In 33 right. Happy years, anniversary, First Lady. 33 <laughs> years, we haven't had a single argument. All of our arguments have been double. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she's never argued with me over what I do to... Um, to better the community or to uplift black people. So shout out to First Lady. Happy anniversary. We tried to get her to come in here, but yeah. she didn't want to do it. I guess she's going to go on she TV. She does look fly, though. Yeah. She, yeah, she calls herself 50 Fly. <laughs> <laughs> Domingo Guyton, who's on the phone uh, and who's the first speaker, we were talking about you know growing up in hip-hop culture and how hip-hop culture was commandeered by essentially capitalism, by moneyed interests. Who are some of the people that you look to today who are doing things that you think are pushing... Uh, hip-hop culture and a positive message forward that maybe we don't know about that we should be looking into? Ah, that's a very good question, and I'll answer with uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Lecrae yeah. who runs the uh, Reach Records here in Atlanta, and um, he just was uh, he just won uh, 
Grammy. He just got a Grammy. Yeah, he just got two Grammys, actually. But he's doing some very, very um, interesting and positive things as far as pushing the good news and also, um, you know, hip-hop. And as far as hip-hop culture and connecting with other artists who may not be Christian and doing music. So I would really put my hats off to what he's doing. And some of the things that he's also doing for black history uh, has been awesome as he as it connects to Christianity also. He's one of my favorites. Me and my sons got to hang out with him when he was here in Springfield. I'm going to look him yeah. up. I don't know him, but I saw you, Bishop, posting on Twitter about Killer Mike getting arrested at the Grammys, speaking of hip-hop and the Grammys, and we were all disappointed in that. Yeah, yeah it's amazing to me how Killer Mike can get... We can watch him in handcuffs after winning three Grammys, and we still haven't seen Trump in handcuffs after 91 indictments. That is the Bishop Talbert Swan, who is one of the hosts of the 14th Annual Lift Every Voice Lecture Series, which begins on Tuesday with Domenico, who is on the phone with us. Uh, Ayanna Crawford, you are going to have a focus on black-owned businesses as part of this, too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So every evening, um, the committee have decided to uh, focus on a black-owned business. And so each night, we're going to have a business that's going to come and showcase uh, their wares and or informational things that they're doing in our community. And so we're looking forward to, on the 13th, to having uh, Monroe a nailer consulting a company share a little bit about her consulting company. So we're excited about this new addition that the committee has approved to um, to have. That's great. Yeah. No. No. We're talking about the Lift Every Voice Lecture Series. It starts on Tuesday with Domenico. It continues all the way through uh, Leap Day. So you get an extra day in yeah. February. Yeah. So you get the, the the speakers and an extra speaker with with Linda Sarsour. Uh, what Actually, like so so bringing in Linda Sosor, especially because this is like mostly black speakers and like a black focused series, like that's a bold move. But like, why show that point of solidarity? Yeah, well, you know, um, when we look at what's happening in Israel and the plight of the Palestinian people, black people um, for eons since 1948 have stood in solidarity. When you look at the Black Panther Party. Um, you look at uh, Nelson Mandela said that um, the plight of black South Africans could not be separated from the plight of Palestinians. They're still uh, saying this. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so even today, um, you know, most Black Lives Matter groups and, and others um, look at what's happening there. And it resonates with us because of the suffering that we've gone through in apartheid America. Um, and so we're just talking about the, the basic humanity of people and standing in solidarity. And so Linda, um, of course, has worked, um, you know, in civil rights uh, um, and political circles um, in solidarity with black folks. And uh, she's an excellent speaker to talk about the subject. And so we're, we're happy to bring her. We got a lot of resistance um, in terms of bringing Linda, but I was determined that she was coming and she'll be here on Thursday. She's also one of the founders of the first women's march that happened first, after absolutely. the uh, yes, election of Donald Trump back in, in 2016. That is the Bishop Talbert Swan, the iconic voice of radio host Bishop <laughs> Talbert Swan, in my opinion, from his WTCC show. And uh, we've also got Ayanna Crawford with us. We're talking about the Lift Every Voice lecture series. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, and then... 
a series like this is really important, not just because of Black History Month and making people more aware of all the things that black people do in the community, but especially in times of trauma when we are shown like ourselves being killed and like people have very short memories about how long that actually affects us. Like what does a series like this do to remind people of us being here and just being regular and being excellent at the same time? Yeah, I, I think it, it brings up the pertinent issues. It mm-hmm. reminds people um, when we get caught up in our day-to-day lives, um, sometimes um, things slip into the background. It reminds us of what we're yet dealing with. It also reminds us of the fact um, that it's, it's not that long ago, but it also challenges us. Um, one of the speakers I brought uh, twice, uh, just passed away recently, uh, was Joe Madison. Uh, and Joe Madison would always ask the question, what are you going to do about it? And that's the challenge of this, these, these lecture series is at the end of it, what are we going to do about it? The theme of the series is the challenge to stand on the right side of history. Uh, is there, it, how is that theme going to weave itself through all of these speakers? And- yeah, you know, the Israel-Palestinian crisis, what's the right side of history? The the, the crisis of, of gun violence and the extrajudicial murder of unarmed black people, uh, where do you stand? Do you always stand with the police or do you stand um, with the community? Uh, when it comes to uh, the argument about hip-hop and uh, whether hip-hop is a positive influence or a negative influence um, in our culture, where do you stand on it? So it's challenging folks to, to make a choice, to, to not um, you know teeter-totter on the line but to make a decision as to where they stand. There's another reason why I think it's really important that you're bringing in Tema Bryant and just like the issue of black mental health is becoming like more more aware, like it's fantastic that she's a part of this. In just a few seconds we have left, Domingo Guyton, who is the first speaker this coming Tuesday, you talked to us a little bit about who you're listening to, who the, the bishop is listening to uh, in the world of hip hop. How has hip hop helped you come from where you were to where you are now? I mean, being a individual inside the home with no, you know, parents in the 80s, there was, you know, those guys were like big brothers and dads. And so they were teaching us about black history. They were teaching us about, you know, being safe, you know, wearing condoms. And, you know, they were teaching us a lot of things that a man in the home should have done. And then when the exploitation and when the Telecommunication Act of 96 passed, then we see jamming this and hot that and all every all the radio stations being owned by, you know, pretty much white corporations. And then they start pushing sex, drugs, violence, love of money. And we see the change happen. So I'm just it's been a great teacher for me. I've learned tremendously through, you know, a lot of the things that have happened. And I'm I'm looking forward to share what I've learned. That's Domingo Guyton, the first speaker of the Lift Every Voice series. He'll be there on February 13th. We've also been joined by one of the hosts, the Bishop Talbert Swan II, as well as Iona Crawford, who was the host last year's series. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks. Thanks for having us. Tomorrow on the show for Live Music Friday, we've got Sean Rao. It's going to be amazing. I'm Khalees Smith. I'm Monty Belmonte. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.